Welcome to C3 Church Tugra. You're about to hear a message from our senior pastor, Julie Oldfield. Get ready to be inspired to live your best life. just read the scriptures for a minute. We're talking about love. This will be really our last week um, about talking about the greatest is love. And so just let me cap it off. I'll be preaching this morning and tonight and just hopefully bringing something that just takes us a little closer to the truth. Amen. So here in Ephesians 4, we're talking, I know it's talking about unity in the body of Christ, but I want to bring something out of this. So it says, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with with, with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as we were called to be one hope. Uh, Sorry, I can't read it very well. The lighting's terrible. Just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, everybody say each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. I want to I highlight that. To each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Will you put that in your mind and just remember that line? And this is why it says, when he ascended on high, he left captives. Let's go down to verse 11. It was he who gave some to the apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will all in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So I just want you to repeat those two lines to me. But to each of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Just say that. To each of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Now I want you to say this. Um, From him the whole body, say that, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love. And the most important line, as each part does its work. You got that? So there's grace apportioned to each one of us that Christ has given us. And then he says that each of us has a work to do. As each part does its work. As each of us steps into the grace that God has given us. It isn't just the preachers, the teachers, the pastors, the apostles, the prophets, the great, you know, men on the pulpits that are going to change the world. It is the body of Christ that are going to change the world. 
It is you in your everyday life. It is you in your everyday expression of who you are and who Christ is in you. That's what's going to change the world. Amen. You don't look convinced. Let me convince you. Let me just say this to you. Just, I'm going to read what I've written here because I think it's really powerful. God wants to manifest what he is doing on the earth through people. Through people. Amen. And I want to say this, listen, he is not embarrassed by you. I'm going to say it again. God is not embarrassed by you. In fact, he loves to be known as your God. He brags on you about that. He's not embarrassed by you. He wants to manifest through people and he, and he loves to be known to be your God. I mean, how beautiful is it? Oh, I've gone blank on your name. Right at the back. Yeah. Oh, Megan, I've gone blank. I'm sorry. I won't say it's menopause because it's a bad excuse, but it is. <laughs> I mean, Megan, there is a special quality about Megan. And God is not embarrassed about her or where she is in her life or where she's up to in a Christian walk. Because he wants to be known as Megan's God. That's why God healed Megan, where she was diagnosed as terminal, having 18 months to live, has now been just declared cancer-free. Because God is putting a story inside of Megan that he wants to be known as the God of Megan and the God of Megan's journey and the God of Megan's story because he's proud to be known as Megan's God. He loves the idea of manifesting through your gifts, your family, your history, your good, your bad, your ugly. <laughs> you know, we think we have to be so perfect to even show a fraction of God to the world. I have to go to Bible college first. I have to clean up my act. I have to have deliverance, inner healing. I have to sort out every mess in my life. Every, you know, you just look at your life, it's just a big mess. But see, God sees your life as an incredible, beautiful process that He is uncovering to the world. But He wants to show the process to the world, not the finished product. You see, because they're in a process too. You see? He wants, to, he wants to be known as the God of your mess. Because then he can be known as the God who fixes your mess. See, if they don't see the mess, if they don't see the, your story, the reality of your story, how do they see the God who is in your journey? How do they see the God that is in your mess? How do they see the God that fixes your mess or heals your body or fixes your family, you know? How many of us have family history and generations of family members that we just go, we don't talk about that brother or that uncle or, <laughs> or that parent. We just don't talk about that. Why not? Because they're a part of your story. It's beautiful, isn't it? In the midst of whatever you carried into the relationship, when you came into a relationship with God, in the midst of whatever you carried into that relationship, he loves being recognized by others as your God in the midst of that. 
your God in the midst of that. You know, he shows us this in the four Gospels, really. I mean, he shows us when he chose his disciples. You just got to look at the disciples to know that he doesn't choose, you know, people that have it all together or whatever. He chose ordinary people. But he chose specific people. And he chose specific people that had specific personalities. You know, I think that there's a little bit of a a religious mindset that that when we become Christians, we almost have to become clones. That, you know, that you walk this way, you talk this way, you act this way, you dress this way. And I just think that is so wrong. Because why would God make incredibly individual, unique people and go to so much trouble that not one thing about you is the same as anybody else ever, in the history of mankind, right up to the end, he never made one like you. Even if you're a twin, you're not the same. Never made another. Why would he go to all that trouble and then say, okay, now I'm sending my son to save you from your sin and to give you a new life and to bring you into freedom. And then, and then we all go, oh, that means conformity. No, he said that means freedom. That means freedom to be me. That means freedom to dress the way I want to dress, to talk the way I need to talk, to wear my hair the colour I want to wear it, to, to express myself in God the way I need to express myself in God. And I don't have to be challenged or conformed to anybody else because I am absolutely unique. And the God that I can bring to the earth through my life is different to the God that you bring to the earth through your life. Because how many of you know that God is not one faceted. God is multifaceted. In fact, we will spend all of eternity going, wow, 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 when we find out the different facets of what God is. Can you imagine the different facets of God that are in this room right now in each and every one of you? If we went around this room and say, how do you express God through your life, through your story, through your personality? We would begin just in this room to understand God in a hundred ways. But we can form ourselves and we can find ourselves to say, I have to be like this or I can't express God. What a lot of rubbish. Creation is, creation is incredibly exciting and creative, incredibly colourful and incredibly beautiful and, and mysterious. Imagine we went out into a garden and went, okay, I just need all poppies, just poppies. Just line up. Drug addicts would like that, wouldn't they? <laughs> all poppies. But what makes a garden beautiful is the diversity of colour and fragrance and movement and shape. And that's what makes us beautiful. That's what makes us attractive. When people see us being free to be us, <laughs> being free to be ourselves without the pollution and the stuff as God heals us. And in the process of our healing, they see the transformation, not to become something else, but to become us. The inner transformation to be released to be me, the original, the original and the best. I formed you in your mother's womb. 
He carefully shaped you and formed you in your mother's womb. He carefully, he carefully, he shaped every bone in your body. He gave you a unique and a beautiful and incredible personality. And he gave you a way of expressing him to the earth that is uniquely yours. So we see this in the gospel. We see the four writers of the gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Let's just look at those four guys. And I don't want to do a study on their lives and a study on everything about them, but let's just have a a little look, a little glimpse at the difference in these guys. Here we go, Matthew, obviously was the writer of the book of Matthew. And he he, he had this thing about writing to the Jews. He had a heart for the Jews and he wanted to write to the Jews and reach the Jews. And he wanted to reveal Jesus as the tribe of Judah. He revealed Jesus as the lion of the tribe of Judah because he was speaking to the Jews and he wanted to reach the Jews. And when he spoke to the Jews in his unique personality, in his unique way, he was careful not to mention the word God too many times because he knew that the Jews would have a problem with that and they would argue about it. So he's careful not to use the word God. But it's amazing the first thing that he mentions as far as Jesus and revealing Jesus is that Jesus touches a leper and makes a leper well. When he knows that this very statement would be the very thing that would make the Jews go, ah! But he was trying to say to the Jews out of his own personality, out of his own sway, out of his own understanding of who Jesus was, you Jews think that if you touch a leper, you will be unclean. But Jesus touched him and made him clean. He had a message. He had a message. And in his simplicity, Matthew was very simple, very just simple. But he had this revelation of Jesus as the lion of the tribe of Judah. Then we see Mark. Next book of the Bible, Mark. Mark is different. He's, it's refer, Mark is referred to as the businessman's gospel. And he writes to the Romans. He doesn't bother with any fluffy stuff like genealogies. You know, you see Matthew go, you know, write through the genealogies of Christ and explain where Jesus came from. He doesn't bother with any of that. He just goes straight to the point. And then there was Jesus. And then there was Jesus. He goes straight in. He, he speaks about the, the word, he uses the word immediately 90 times in his gospel. He's a businessman. He wants to get it done. He wants to get it done now and he wants to clear, quick, concise. Let's get this over with. Let's make it clear. Let's talk about it. Let's get on with it. It's Jesus. He's here. It starts from here. Let's just do this. That's his. And actually, he, he writes his gospel in about 14 chapters where all the other guys take that between 21 and 26 chapters to talk about who Jesus is. He just does it in 14. How many of you know someone like that? Garth Ball for a start. I mean, you know, isn't he? You know what I mean? It's just like, but this is the unique personality of Mark. And Mark, Mark is revealing Jesus. His whole sway is to reveal Jesus as a servant. His, His passion, his His personality connects with Jesus as a servant. You see what I'm saying? You're looking at me like, some of you are looking at me like, you get it. 
Luke, the book of Luke, Luke was a doctor. He was a physician. He writes about women more than any other writer in the Bible. He has a thing about women finding their place, finding their place with Jesus because women were really left outside of the temple. They were not able to come in and worship. He's, Luke is like the embracing of women. He's like, he gets this. Why? Because he's a doctor and he gets humanity. He has this thing about humanity. If you look in Luke's gospel, it's all about humanity. And he wants to reveal Jesus as the son of man. He wants to reveal Jesus as the human face of God on the earth. And that's his whole ploy. I love the book of Luke, actually. I love the way he writes his stories and how he involves so many stories about people and their life-changing experiences. Luke, in writing to the Greeks, he's writing to the Greeks, by the way, and the first miracle that he talks about is the casting out of demons, which really is, is really uh, what the Greeks needed to hear because the Greeks had multiple gods. And they needed to know that there was one God, one Lord, one Saviour, Jesus Christ, and all the other gods have to go. So his first miracle was the casting out of demons. He thought this was amazing, that all other forces move and Jesus comes through. And he, he was talking about the humanity of Jesus. God loves the personality of Luke, just like he loves your personality. And he's not ashamed to call, be called your God. Let's look at John. John starts out writing, in the beginning, God. He's just like, in the beginning, there was God. John reveals Jesus as the divine one. We see here that John's got a very strong prophetic gift and he has an incredible intimate relationship with Jesus. In fact, he calls himself John, the disciple whom Jesus loved. Or he'll just describe himself as Oh, the disciple that Jesus loved was there. And you start to think, John, you, you up yourself? Like, you know, like, you know. And I just want to read you this. This is the, the New Passion Translation of the Bible, the book of John. And in the commentary, Brian, who wrote this, Brian Simmons, wrote this, and I think this was beautiful. John describes himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. This was not a term to indicate that Jesus loved John more than the others, but rather that John saw himself as one whom Jesus loved. We could also, you could also say that about yourself. I am the disciple whom Jesus loves. Every single believer can echo John's description of himself as those words must become the true definition of our own identity. Love unlocks mysteries and as we love Jesus, our hearts are unlocked to see more of His beauty and glory. When we stop defining ourselves by our failures, but rather as the one whom Jesus loves, then our hearts begin to open to the breathtaking discovery of the wonder of Jesus Christ. Wow. I just got goosebumps reading that. That's just so amazing. You see that John was, was bringing something of the heart of Jesus and he was revealing Jesus as the divine. And I think it's so incredible for those of you who are a little bit deeper and would get this. If you look in the book of Ezekiel 1.10, it's talking about the vision that Ezekiel had of the living creature that, that is before the throne of God with four faces. And it says like this, their faces look like these. Each of the four had the face of a man. 
On the right side, each had the face of a lion, and on the left, the face of an ox. Each also had the face of an eagle. If you look at this, Ezekiel is actually seeing that God is going to use multiple personalities to bring the gospel through. Multiple personalities, personalities that have their own distinct, their own distinct facet of the nature of God and what he wants to bring to the earth. If you look at that, it says that they have the four faces. If you look at Matthew, he wants to reveal Jesus as the lion of the tribe of Judah, the lion, the face of the lion. Mark is revealing Jesus as the servant, the ox, the face of the ox is the servant. Luke, the son of man, the face of man, the face of the human. John, he reveals Jesus as the divine, as the face of the eagle. If you look in Ezekiel, the four faces of the gospel writers are on that living creature who worships before the throne of God. And your face, your story, your personality is written on the heart of God. Somewhere in the heart of God is your story that needs to be told. Somewhere there's your personality that brings a facet of God that no one else can bring. Just like the four gospel writers were specifically chosen by God to portray a part of God's character, a facet of His nature, a facet of His incredible divinity. So you have this too. You have a story. I've got right here, Jesus is wanting to bring something of the impossible in you. And he doesn't mind having a redemptive personality attached to it. What do I mean by that? As I said before, we're all in a process, right? And we all have a part of our personality that God is still redeeming. Is that, is that true? I mean, sometimes you just go, like, who am I today? Oh, why did I act like that or react like that? Like, you know, quickly, where's the Christian bit of me? You know, and, and it, within our personality, yes, he made us unique. Yes, he made us incredible. Yes, he made us to shine something of himself. But within that personality, there's pollution. Who knows that? And God, when we're first saved, when we're first born again, of course, our spirits are born again. And there is nothing we need to do to change that, that we are perfectly, we can stand before God with perfect confidence. But in our soul, in our personality, in our mind, our emotions, our will, you know, we know that that needs changing from glory to glory. How many of you know that? How many of you feel like your personality has already changed from glory to glory, that it's becoming like Jesus? You know, our personality changes. You know, it's not the longer that we're a Christian that our personality changes, it's it's, it's how long we behold him for. I've known Christians that have been Christians 40 years and they're still exactly the same because they never spend the time to behold. And the Bible says, the one that you behold, you become like him. So there's a part of Jesus, there's a part of God inside of you, a redemptive part. But you know what? God doesn't mind expressing himself through through. The, through our redemptive nature. Because can't you see that the way that you deal with that, people are watching? Like when you explode at somebody at work and you lose it and they see a part of your unredeemed nature. And then you go, ah, you know, I'm supposed to be a Christian. I'm supposed to be 
And now I've blown it. Now I've blown my cover. And they see me as I really am. But then you pick up the courage and you go back into the workplace and you address the room. You say, hey guys, that was really, you know, I've just been, I've just been with God. And, you know, like he's challenged me. That was really off what I just did. And I just want to say I'm really, really sorry. And it's just a part of my nature I'm still working on. God's helping me with that. But, you know, can you cover me with grace? You don't have to use those Christian words, of course. You can just like, you don't have to use grace and God's working on me. You know, use words they get. But you know what I'm saying? So they see the unredeemed nature, but they see God in the midst of the mess, making the mess better. And then they say, well, if that God can make that person better, then he can do that for me too. See, we think that the witness is we walk around like, I am a Christian. I'm squeaky clean. Don't look at me. You're a sinner. You know, like, how many, how many places do you see on TV, say, um, you know, in other nations even, even in this nation where everybody dresses the same? You know, you go to a church in the States, say so you've got to wear stockings if you're a woman. You can't wear pants. You know, you... You've got to wear the hats, you know, and all that. Because a woman's head must be covered, you know. And But, you know, the world doesn't need that. They need to know that we are real people saved by a real God who had real sin and real issues, had real families, have real struggles, and are real about it and are willing to show it and are willing to show the other side of it that God, God is our Redeemer. Something so special inside each one of you. And I think that God is he's, he's ramping it up. He's turning up the dial on bringing truth, just lies that have been there for so long. So many religious lies that have held his church in bondage and held his people in immobility, not being able to move because they feel like they're not good enough, and in condemnation. Jesus loves your mess. I've got written here, I'm just about finished. We are in a redemptive process. I just want to read that line before, what I read before, because I think it's powerful. God wants to bring something out of the impossible in you, and he doesn't mind having your redemptive personality attached to it. He likes it. God knows that each of us in our distinctive personalities that he has created in us will manifest each character of himself. We're all in a redemptive process. What looks like chaos within us, to us, looks like chaos. To God, it looks like creative possibility. You look over that painting over there, this painting that I did over there. And this is, this is, this, this is what I've transcribed for that painting. With chaos as, as his canvas, God's word came forth and spirit emptiness opened to be filled with the creative command. With chaos as his canvas, God is painting a story on you. 
And when God spoke like that, and in the process of him saying, let there be light, there came a creative chaos. There came creation in process. And then it was, let there be light. And God spoke. In the midst of your creative process that you are going through, there is a word from God that comes from heaven and says, let there be light. In the midst of your creative chaos, there is a a word from God that people need to hear that can only come out of your creative process. Amen. Just one word. Just one testimony. That's what the testimony is. I was lost and now I'm found. I was blind and now I see. I was in a process, but God helped me through that process and He can help you too. I am not unreachable. I am not better than you. I am just like you, loved by a God who is getting us all through our own processes. You know, Lana, I just want to say this to you, Lana. I know the enemy's been just like so beating you up in your head. I've been hearing him. You know, sometimes I can hear the enemy speaking to people and the words that he says. And I know he's been saying to you, oh, you're never going to make it. Look at you. He's just been doing that to you. But I want to tell you this. You are the most incredibly colorful, creative process. You are beautiful in the eyes of God. Your mess is a glorious process to God. He loves your mess. He loves the colours of it. And He's creating something inside of you. And you just need to let everybody know. You know, the Bible says, I boast in my weakness. For in my weakness, I am becoming like Him. If you boast in your strengths, then you're outside of God. I boast in my weakness. Let's stand to our feet. As the worship team comes, we thank you, God. Let's just just lift our hands. Just thank God for His redemptive love. Thank you, God, for His redemptive love. Right now, Lord, I thank you right now. Just close your eyes right across this room. Right now, I believe right now that lies are falling to the ground. That the taunts of the enemy are falling from your mind. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. I thank you that religious mindsets are falling off and God is releasing you to be you, the original and the best in Jesus' name. I thank you that God would come and look at your beautiful mess, your chaos, and He would call it a divine process. He loves your process. He loves your mess. And God is bragging on you right now. And God is proud to be called your God. He loves to be called your God. And I thank you right now, you're releasing people in their own personalities, in their own ways to display the majesty and the glory of God, to display the heart of God, to display the prophetic of God, to display the very facets of God in their own lives, through their own personalities in Jesus' Name. Thank you, Lord. Why don't you just put your hands like this and say this prayer with me. Father God, I thank you that you made me unique, individual, and you said it was wonderful. Thank you that you love my mess and that you love to be known as my God. 
I give you my life. I give you my mess. I give you my chaos. I give you my story. And I ask that you would use it for your glory. I give you my personality. And I ask that you would let it out. That you would set the captive free. And free me to be myself. In Jesus' name. Thank you. Let's just sing this. Hallelujah. We hope you enjoyed listening to this message. For more information on what you've just heard or how to visit us, go to c3talgra.org.au. We hope to see you at church soon.